Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reading of God's Word, we are going to go to the... uh... The book of Galatians here in just a moment, we have been on the series, The Making of Me, and I want to talk about the Christmas story again today. How many of you know this is the most amazing time of the year? Someone said even the world's singing our songs this season, and that's true, and that's good, and that's wonderful. Well, the Bible is uh, predictive, it is prophetic, and it talks about the things that are going to come when the... Uh, The apostle Paul writes to the church at Galatia in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, aren't you glad that you can become a son or a daughter of God? But what Paul is doing, he is uh, going back, looking to what they were expecting, and you and I get to look back on, but in the fullness of time, God's going to have a son, a woman going to bear a son under the law, and you and I are looking back on that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing grace, your goodness, your mercy. Lord, we love you today. Bless this word in our hearts and our ears. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Turn around and tell your neighbor, I'm glad you're here today. (laughs) Behind Carrie and I's home, there is a little creek there that runs into Dry Creek, a bigger creek. And in the spring and in the uh, summer, the trees that line that are full of leaves. And you can't really see too much past that. But in the fall, when the leaves begin to uh, leave the trees and they begin to hit the ground, and in the winter, you can see through the trees and you can see more of the landscape behind that. Now, if you and I were in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, we would see the trees full of leaves. But now you and I are seeing a little bit clearer because the leaves have fallen and we see a clearer picture of what God is doing and what he has done. Can I hear an amen? For some reason this morning when I got up thinking about that thought, I, I began to think about the song, uh, I Can See Clearly Now. Does anybody remember? Do we have any leftover hippies here? I think it was Johnny uh, Nash that sang that song. Um, he said, I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. And so uh, we see a little bit more clearly than they did under the old covenant. Even though there was evidence by the prophets, and the prophets evidenced this, a redeemer is coming, the Messiah is coming, the view is cloudy, it is obstructed, but after 400 years from Malachi to Matthew, we hear a word from God. You, You do know that's called the 400 silent years. No major prophetic word, no major prophetic happening, no great miracle other than what we think is Hanukkah, but we are in a time where it seems like God is just kind of out of the picture as far as the prophetic timetable. But what he has prophesied and given to us, we see that's coming to pass 
in Matthew and Luke, and we begin to see this thing unveiled before eyes. Now, Dr. Luke does something in uh, chapter 1. He's writing to a fellow called Theophilus. How many of you have re ever read that? He says, I'm writing this treatise, or I'm writing this uh, document to you, O Theophilus. He refers to this in the book of Acts. So, Dr. Luke gives us the gospel of Luke and the early church history through the book of Acts. Now, we don't really know who Theophilus is. But from his name, Theo, meaning God, and Philos, which means friend, someone named him the friend of God. Now, we don't know if he was named after a pagan god and was a seeker looking for the true God, or he is a believer that someone named the friend of God. But this is what Dr. Luke does, and I want you to just pay close attention to this. He says, I'm writing this account from the eyewitnesses of those who experienced this. Luke experienced part of it. The, 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 the Acts Chronicles or the Acts documents, if you will. Luke did experience part of that. But I would almost guarantee you he did not experience and he was not there the birth of Jesus. Matter of fact, from Scripture, the only ones that we know that was really there was Mary and Joseph and maybe a few animals. But Luke says this. He says, I'm writing this account for my witnesses. And, and this is very important because not that you need your faith confirmed, but how many of you know, it's always good to have your faith confirmed by Scripture. Because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So Luke says, I'm writing this from the authenticity and the veracity of eyewitnesses. So if you want to know, I'm going to give you the account. And I interviewed those who were there when it happened. Uh, I, I found this interesting because th this is something that the world will contest you on. Well, I don't know if this is actually true. I don't know if this is actually history. I don't know if this actually happened. Do you realize, and I think this is very clear in Scripture, we have more accurate account historically of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ than almost any other historical event from that time. Amen. Now, Luke says, I'm giving this from eyewitnesses. So if you want to know what happened, who would you interview? You would interview Mary. Are we in agreement with that? And so we know that Mary was alive even in Acts chapter 1, we know when they go to the upper room, they're waiting for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Guess who's in that upper room with those apostles? Well, the disciples are there. There are some women there, and Mary by name is given. She's in the upper room waiting for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit that's going to come down and feel believers the promise of the energy, the power that Jesus said was coming. Now, if you want to know what happened, guess who's still alive? Mary's still alive. You can go talk to her. Paul picks this up when he's writing to the Corinthians. He, he talks about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says when he rose from the dead, he appeared to the apostles, the disciples, and he said at one time he appeared to 500 people at one event. 500 people. Now, this is kind of what Paul is saying, same thing that Luke is saying. If you want to know what happened, go talk to them. Because most of them are still alive today. You can actually go have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them if you want to know the veracity of what the story is. 
Now, in the early service, I, I kind of took a little analogy here. How many of you, and this is going to date you a little bit, how many of you were alive when John Kennedy got assassinated in Dallas, Texas? Okay, so several hands are going up. So if someone came up to you and said this, I just don't believe that happened. And you know what we could do? We, we could say, and I could say this. Now listen, I watched this on television. I saw it on the news. I saw the funeral. I saw the procession. I saw this. But if you want to go a little bit further with this, there are people still alive today that were at the hospital that were standing on the street when that happened. There are people that were on the airplane. There were people in Washington when they brought the body back. So if you don't believe me, go interview them because they were what? eyewitnesses to that event. This is exactly what Luke does. He says the veracity of this message and the virgin birth and the events is documented because I'm going to give you eyewitness testimony. Can I hear an amen? So this silence is broken. These events start happening and I want to give you three aspects of this very quickly this morning. Number one is the Annunciation. Then there's the celebration and then the explanation. Say that with me. The annunciation, the celebration, and the, ex uh, the explanation. So here we have these breaking events. The first one's not to Mary and the first one's not to Joseph. The first one is to an older man who's a priest by the name of Zacharias. Angel Gabriel shows up on the right side of the altar of incense and boom, there he is and he's talking to Zacharias the priest. And the angel says, your prayers are going to be answered. You and Elizabeth, your wife, have been praying for a son, praying for a birth and you have not been able to give birth to a child and you kind of like Abraham and Sarah, you think it's way too past, way too far. How many of you have ever felt like your situation was way too far gone? Amen. And you may be here this morning and say, hey, pastor, my situation is too far gone. God could never, ever do anything with it. How many of you know we serve a miracle-working God that can do more than we could think or ask? That's the God we serve. So here Zacharias is, and he is a priest, his wife Elizabeth, both well advanced in years, no children. And he says, you're going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He will turn the hearts of many to the Lord their God. He will go before him. The him is the Lord their God. And in the spirit of Elijah, he's going to declare and prepare the way of the Lord. Let me tell you, that is a powerful annunciation. So here is an older woman and an older man. They're going to give birth and they're going to call this baby John. Then Gabriel moves on. A few months later, comes to Mary. Now Gabriel catches this young lady and begins to give this statement. You will conceive and have a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be the great son of the highest be given the throne of David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. There'll be no end to his kingdom. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you'll give birth to the Son of God. Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived in her old age and is six months pregnant. Now, I don't think Mary found that out on Facebook. I don't think she got it text to her. Because in those days, information didn't travel as fast as they do now. I don't think she knew that Elizabeth was pregnant. But I would think that this thought 
kind of went through her mind. You mean my old relative is pregnant? Can you believe that Elizabeth is going to have a baby? So your, your relative Elizabeth is, is pregnant. And the angel says to Mary, because Mary's thinking this, how can I, being a virgin, never being with a man, ever be pregnant? And secondly, how could my old relative Elizabeth be pregnant? And the angel says, for with God, all things are possible. Say it with me. For with God... All things are possible. I mean, we do believe that, don't we? That with God, all things are possible. So now Gabriel moves to Joseph. Because if you're espoused or engaged, and this espousal is a tighter covenant and agreement than our modern day engagement. There's a contractual agreement, usually by the parents, this is who you're going to marry, and to break this is a huge deal, huge deal. So now, Mary comes up pregnant, Joseph is supposed to marry her, he knows that he's not the father, he's going to put her away privately or secretly, he loves her, he doesn't want to embarrass her, he could, but he doesn't, and so he goes to bed and, and this is, okay, what's up here? This what's up is this girl that I'm engaged to is now with child. What do I do? So the angel comes and talks to Joseph. How many of you would have to have an angel come and talk to you? Y'all are so holy. It would take an angel, wouldn't it? So an angel appears to Joseph and says, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you will call his name Jesus. Did you catch what Gabriel said to Mary? You're going to call his name Jesus. He goes to Joseph. You're going to call his name Jesus. Guess what? They called his name Jesus. How many of you know they didn't decide on the name? The name came from heaven. So you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. This is a fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. A virgin will be with child and you will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. So here is this prophetic announcement, not only by the prophets, but by the angels. So there's annunciation. Now we move to celebration. In Luke chapter 2, the first celebration we, we really read about, uh, probably other than Joseph and Mary at the birth of Jesus, is the angels. Remember the shepherds are keeping their flocks by night. The little boy who was having the part in the play, he got confused. He said the angels watched their socks by night, but that wasn't the right scripture, was it? So they, they watched their flocks by night, and, and the angel appears in the sky. Notice this, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. So one angel appears, makes the annunciation, you're going to find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is your sign. Say that with me. This is your sign. Now, if they wrapped every baby in that day and time in swaddling clothes, what's the sign? Because history says 
that most babies were wrapped in swaddling clothes. Matter of fact, the, the American Indians did that. You know what we call it? A papoose. Because they would wrap, uh, tightly wrap the children because that brought them comfort because in the womb, they're tied in the womb. It also restricts their movement and their hands so they don't scratch themselves or hurt themselves. So that was the custom. So if everybody's wrapping their children in swaddling clothes, what's the sign? Well, not everyone, number one, is laying their babies in a feed trough, right? So he's going to be laid where? In a manger, which is a feed trough. Now, some Jewish historians, and this is purely conjecture, believe that the sign also was a little bit greater than that because the shepherds in Bethlehem most likely are raising lambs for the temple sacrifices. Now, you do know the requirements for the temple sacrifice, don't you? They have to be the male, firstborn, without what? Spot or blemish. So it has to be a male, firstborn, spot or blemish. So whenever a male lamb was born that was the firstborn without spot or blemish, they said those shepherds would take that lamb and mark it and wrap it up to keep it from blemish or spot and lay it over to the side in the feed manger in the hay to say this one is special because this one is going to go for the sacrifice. Guess what they saw when they got to that stable? Whether it was in a barn or out in a pen or in a cave, we don't know. Guess what they found? They found the baby laying there much like they would take a sacrificial lamb and lay it aside and say, this one is special. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's amazing. Now, another thing that they say that could have happened is that they would take old strips of priest clothing and they would bind up those lambs in that priest garment realizing this would be the one who's firstborn without spot and blemish, the one that is the one ready for sacrifice. Now, the question that we're going to ask here, which to me is very obvious, if they did that to Jesus, if they wrapped him up in claws that were strips of priest clothing, where in the world would they ever get that? Because they're in a place that they don't live in, really. They're in Bethlehem. They're in an, uh, a stable or a, a cave that they don't have all of the things that they would need for that. But some have supposed that when Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy showed up to Zacharias and Elizabeth's house to say, I got this visitation from an angel, and I'm pregnant, and the angel said, I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. When she said that, what happened to Elizabeth's baby? The Bible says that John, who's not born yet, six months, that John leaped in her womb and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you, that's pretty special, right? Some have supposed that Elizabeth and Zacharias gave those strips of his priest clothing to wrap this new baby up when the baby was born. You see, something is going on here. There is a sign. And these shepherds are hearing this from the angel. And then as soon as the angel enunciates what's going to happen, you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, 
in Bethlehem, the city of David, and they said, we'll go see this thing. And as soon as the angel made the declaration, the whole sky is filled with what? Angels. The Bible says the heavenly hosts fill the sky. And listen to what they're saying. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. What's happening? There's celebration. There's celebration with the angels. Now, I think, and I think you're going to agree with me, the angels had a little step ahead of us, didn't they? Because in the halls of heaven, they realized something was about to happen. That the God of heaven was going to wrap himself in earthly tabernacle. He's going to come as the Son of God, and he's going to arrive in a manger. And I think there was hustle and bustle and activity in the heavenlies, and the hosts are praising this event. Isn't this awesome? I mean, they are celebrating, and the sky is full of celebration. Well, the, the, the shepherds go, and they see exactly what the angel said they would see. They saw a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Let me give you the rest of the story. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. What are they doing? They're celebrating. They're glorifying God. They're praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. You know what they're saying? Man, this thing came down just like that angel said. Well, number one, if an angel talked to me, I'd be impressed. Would you be impressed? Some of you don't look like you're too impressionable, but I'd be impressed. What's going to impress you, huh? But just not the fact that the angel came and talked to them, but it was exactly what the angel said. So the shepherds are celebrating. Then we have... The magi are the wise men that are celebrating. Remember, they're coming. See, the shepherds are looking for what? A Messiah, Savior. Very clear. The wise men are looking for what? A king. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? So they come. They come to Jerusalem. Talk to Herod. Herod doesn't know anything about it. The wise men there are the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, well, Scripture says that this king of the Jews will be born in Bethlehem. So the star leads them to Bethlehem. And when they get there, here's the account. When they see Mary and the child, the child and Mary, Joseph are in a house now. We're somewhere after eight days, under two years. They're still in the region of Bethlehem. When they come to that house... They see this baby, the Bible says, and they fell down and worshipped him. They worshipped him. And they opened up their treasure and they brought to him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Do you know giving is an act of worship? That we give and that's worship. We, we give and that's celebration. So what's their response to seeing Jesus? It is worship. It is celebration, it is giving, and these wise men fell down and they worship the newborn king and they're celebrating. So let me tell you, Christmas is about the Annunciation, Christmas is about the celebration, and Christmas is about the explanation. Because if you are without a husband and you have never been with the man and you're going to be pregnant. How many of you know you need a good explanation? 
I deserve a better amen than that. If you're going to go look for a baby in a feed trough, you need a good explanation. If you're going to travel from the Far East looking for a king, you need a good explanation. Somebody say amen. So the prophets begin to give us the explanation before the birth ever happens. Isaiah began to explain, virgin's going to give birth to a child. There is going to be a child born, a son given. Amen? And the first prophecy in the Bible is about a woman and a baby. Did you know that? The first prophecy in the Bible is the seed of the woman shall bruise and crush the head of the serpent. Now here's the unique thing about that prophetic statement. Is the woman doesn't have the seed. For a baby to, ha to happen, what has to happen? The male has to fertilize the egg with the seed, if you will, and then the baby comes about. But this prophecy is the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. This thing from Genesis to maps is showing us the coming of Jesus. Can I hear an amen? This is explaining the most wonderful event in human history is the coming of Jesus to live and to die and to resurrect for the sins of mankind. This is an amazing story. And Isaiah tells us that a child is born, the humanity of Jesus, Mary's child, the son of man. Do you realize that Jesus is human and he's divine? He is God in the flesh. And this son is not only born, but he is what? Given. So what does that mean, he's given? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. I, I want to read something that I uh, pulled out on Friday that I think is very spectacular to me. Peter is giving us this uh, comment about his time with Jesus. Peter says in verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. Now this is what Peter's saying. We heard a voice from heaven. Others heard a voice from heaven. When Jesus was baptized, do you, do you know a voice boom from heaven? This is my beloved son. When he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter said, we were with him on the mountain. And a voice boomed from heaven again, and we heard it. And not only did we hear the voice from heaven, but Jesus was transfigured or glorified before us. He began to radiate and shine like the sun or greater than the sun. This is what's happening here. 
Peter saying, we as eyewitnesses saw these events. We're testifying to you literally what happened, who he is, what he's done, and the veracity of Scripture. But this is what amazes me. Your attention, please. He says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. Do you understand what Peter's saying? Peter's saying, I will, I will look to, I will rely upon the Holy Scriptures even greater than my eyewitness account. How many of you know an eyewitness account is pretty powerful? But Peter is saying not only do we have the eyewitness account of me and the rest of the apostles and hundreds of others, but he said we have the witness of the prophets, and he says we take heed to that, and he said you need to take heed to that because the witness of the prophet is even greater than our eyewitness. I want you to know, this is what Peter said. We heard the voice. He said, we were with him on the mountain. And not only did we declare him, the prophets declare him. And he says, we put great weight of witness on what the prophets say. John picks this up again. Just go to the next book, if you will. First John chapter 1. This is how John starts his letter. That which was from the beginning we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life and life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. You know what John is doing? He's given us a deposition. Now what's a, def a deposition? A deposition is an oral testimony that's going to be written down for a witness. So if you and I have to go to court and they're going to take our deposition, they're going to put you up there, they're, they're going to record it, they're going to say, okay, give us the facts. And if Jack Webb's there, he says, the facts, just the facts, ma'am. Most of you don't know who Jack Webb or Dragnet is, but some of you do. Okay. So anyway, so they're going to give the facts, you, you know, orally give the facts, and they're going to write those down. That becomes your dep deposition. And they use it as evidence in the trial. Years ago, I, I didn't say this earlier, but years ago, Randy and I had to go to some court uh, hearings. And so we both were uh, deposed or put up on the stand to give our deposition. And I had about, what, seven or eight attorneys work me over for about seven hours. And... Uh, and my son's attorney, so don't, don't throw anything at me. And, and, and let me tell you what they try to do. They try to trick you up. They try to get you to say something out of context or out of character so they can use it later against you. And so one time, you know, being a preacher helps you every once in a while. And sometimes it hurts you. So during the deposition, I gave a parable. And when I finished the parable, the attorney who was uh, kind of up there in my face didn't like my parable. And he said to me, he said, uh, preacher, he said, I asked the questions here. You just give the answers. I said, okay. But after it's over, he came to me and he said, preacher, he said, you're a better man than me. He said, just business. I said, I understand. I understand. So what John, John is doing, he says, okay, watch this. He says, we've heard it. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've handled him. So this is our deposition. This is our testimony. We've seen him. 
We've heard him. We've handled him. We've been with him. So we are what? I witnesses to these events. Can I tell you something this morning? This should increase your faith because somebody's going to say, I don't believe this happened. I believe Jesus was a historical figure. He was a good man, a good teacher. He's not the son of God. He's not God. He's not of a virgin. He, he, this didn't happen. This didn't happen. But I want to tell you, we have eyewitness accounts. This absolutely happened. And that should excite your heart and spirit to say we are believing the truth based on the word of God and the veracity of history. It was C.S. Lewis who was an agnostic uh, atheist in his early life who came to faith. And he said, I've read a lot of stories about legends and fictions. And he said, this doesn't sound like one. And let me tell you, it doesn't sound like one, does it? Let me go a step further. Peter, Matthew, Luke, James, Thomas. Do you realize these men died for their testimony? If they were just giving us a good story, if they were just giving us a good legend, they were just giving us some good account that they could gain something by, profit by. I don't know about you, but if they were getting ready to cut my head off, if they were getting ready to burn me at the stake or shoot me through with darts and spears and arrows, I might have the compulsion to say, hey, this was just a joke. This really didn't happen. Do you realize every one of these men died a martyr's death except one? And every one of them, while they were dying and being burnt and beheaded and crucified, stuck to their story. You know why they stuck to their story? Because it was true. true. It was true. A virgin really did give birth. The angels did announce. There was celebration. And through this explanation, what do we have? Let me end with this. We have a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. We have a mediator. He is the mediator. Between God and man, the Bible says there is one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. Why is he the mediator? Because he knows what you go through. He's been in your shoes. There's not one thing that's ever happened to you that he didn't feel and he didn't experience. We have a high priest that has been touched by every feeling we've ever had, according to Scripture. He is the perfect and only mediator. That's why he says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. And he said, the only way that you can come to the Father is by me and through me. And my friends, that is still true today. He is not only a Savior, he's the mediator. He's also the Redeemer. You know what the word redeem means? You've got to buy something back. If you redeem something, there is a cost involved. So if you and I are going to have a redeemer, and if we're going to be redeemed, let me tell you, we all got to be redeemed. And if you're going to be redeemed, it's going to cost. What was the price of your redemption? It was the life of Jesus. He gave his life as a ransom, as a payment for every one of us. 
The only way that I can ever be righteous, the only way that I could ever get to heaven, the only way you're ever going to get to heaven is not because of your education, your wealth, your job, your heritage, your genetics, your moralism. The only way you and I are ever going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for us to make heaven and to be righteous, he gave his life so you could stand in his place righteous and holy. We have a savior, we have a mediator, and we have a redeemer. And we have a gift. The greatest gift you will ever have in your life is the gift of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you this Christmas, you're going to get a gift. And you're going to be very congenial. You're going to be nice. And you're going to smile. You're going to say, thank you so much. And on Tuesday, you're going to be at Walmart trading it in for something else. <laughs> or you might use it once or twice, and you'll never use it again. I want you to know something. This gift, because the Son is what? Given. This gift you have, you'll need him every day of your life. And you'll use him every day of your life. Let me end with Isaiah 9 and 6 again. What, what, what is in this gift? What, what do we receive here? What, what happens here? For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful. My friends, we need a wonderful, we need a wonderful God. We need a wonderful Savior. His birth is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Everything about him is wonderful, right? We need a counselor. Anybody here ever needed a counselor? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever in your life said this, Lord, you're like King Jehoshaphat of the Old Testament. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about my marriage. I don't know what to do about my finances. I don't know what to do about my kids. I don't even know what to do about me. Have you ever been there? Oh, you haven't. I have. Okay, let's talk about me. Lord, what do I do here? How, how do I process this? What's my next step? What's my solution? My friends, you have a counselor you can go to. You can ask him, Lord, what do I do here? How do I save this marriage? How do I help my kids? How do I get through this financial situation? Lord, I'm confused. I'm messed up. Anybody ever been messed up? I got stinking thinking. There's a lot of people got stinking thinking. We're breeding them by the thousands now. We need a counselor! We need somebody to go to that will tell us the absolute truth in love. To say, come on, Mike. You can make it. You can get through this. And I'll tell you why. I'm the mighty God. I'm a miracle worker. I got all power in heaven and earth. I don't even know. We need a mighty God. We don't need some kind of five and ten cent savior. We need a mighty God that parts seas and makes the lame to walk and heals the lepers and opens eyes and brings bread from Long John Silver 
enough to feed 5,000. Telling you, that's the kind of God we need. We need a mighty God. We need an everlasting Father. Because some of you, you didn't have a very good Father. Matter of fact, you're challenged with the fatherhood that you have been exposed to. Maybe you were abused or mistreated verbally, mentally, physically. Many of us here today, our fathers have already gone on. Some of us, our fathers are still here. But do you know that you have an everlasting father? He's here today. He'll be here tomorrow. He'll be here the next day. The fatherhood of God will always be with you because you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God. I'll tell you what, I'm preaching better than what you think because I'm getting pretty excited myself. We have an everlasting Father. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And he's also the Prince of Peace. Because when the storm is blowing and the waves are raging and it looks like the disciples on the boat are going to die and they turn to the back of the boat and say, Jesus, don't you care? We're dying out here. He went to the front of that boat and he brought peace to that storm. If they could have brought peace to the storm, they would have done it and they could not. But he could. You know why? He created the wind. He created the waves. And they listened to him. Folks, these same people that were in the boat with him that, that day, they had seen him open blind eyes, raise the dead, heal the lepers. They, they saw him do many wonders and miracles. But when he stepped to the front of that boat and looked at creation and said, Stop it! Peace! And the waves flattened out and the wind quit blowing. They looked at him and said, What manner of person is this? Who in the world do we have in our boat? He's out of this world. He came to the world. He came to his own. And they received him not. But I'm glad we received him. The greatest gift you'll ever have is receiving Jesus Christ. He's the gift that just keeps on giving. Can I hear an amen? amen. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.